0: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The thoughts of the righteous are just, the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Without counsel, are do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. cast onto the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Thank you both. We're going old school today. No Garth Brooks this morning. Sorry. Thanks for reading. Um, today, if you're uh, new with us, We, uh, my name's Chuck, I'm one of the pastors here. We are a uh, church family that believes God has given us the scriptures, and through those scriptures we learn who God is and what he's done for us. And so we will take a passage each week and walk through it, seek to understand what it meant to the original audience, and then how it can be applied to us today. We have been going uh, through the book of Proverbs Step by step, looking at a variety of topics that the book addresses. Thank you, uh, Brian and Tad, both, for preaching while I was away. Grateful to have uh, brothers who understand the Scriptures well and are willing to give their time to speak to it. Today we're going to talk about what Proverbs has to say about the will of God. It has a massive topic. It'd be impossible to cover everything about that today. But it's a pressing issue, so we want to spend some time on it together. Here's a few questions that people in the body are currently asking. And these might help us understand why this is an important topic. Uh, For example, one, uh, what do I do with an aging parent that can no longer realistically care for himself or herself? That's a question people are asking in the body. There are many proverbs that talk about planning and uh, How do we think about planning in relationship to that issue? That's a question if you're not facing it now, you will likely will in the future. Another, what does God want me to do with my life? Should I marry him? Does God want me to buy that house? What job should I take? What college should I choose? These are just a few of the important questions that we're asking, and none of them are simple, are they? Those are all complex questions through which we need to come to an understanding of what God would want us to do. It's common for Christians to say something like, I'm praying to know God's will, or I'm praying that God would direct me in what he would want me to do. So today we're going to look at what Proverbs has to say about that. But before we do it, I think we've got to lay a groundwork, some foundation through which we can understand what Proverbs has to say. Look at this quote with me from Kevin DeYoung in a book about God's will. It ends with these words. Live for God. Obey the scriptures. Think of others before yourselves. Be holy. Love Jesus. And as you do these things, do whatever else you like, with whomever you like, wherever you like, and you'll be walking in the will of God. I wonder how that falls on you. My guess is that some in the room, maybe a few, would resonate with that pretty quickly. And perhaps there's others who have some questions about that. Why would he phrase that that way? Well, throughout this little book, which I would encourage you to read, it's called Just Do Something. Kevin DeYoung sets out a framework for how we think about God's will, and it is not the same framework I hear most of us use. So let me see if I can just explain it a little bit, and then we'll jump into some Proverbs directly. What is God's will? Well, that's actually a little more complicated than you might think. The scriptures talk about God's will in a couple of different ways. The first way the Bible talks about God's will is what we might call God's will of decree. There's a sense in which the Bible talks about God's plans or God's will as being final. It says that God's will is sure, that God's will will happen, that God's will isn't up for debate or discussion, that God's will isn't movable, that it's simply a statement of from a sovereign God about what's going to take place. It says that God's the most powerful being in existence, that what he says will happen, happens. That what he says won't happen, won't happen. And that's rooted in the character of God, that God is a sovereign God. His power is without hindrance. Isaiah 46, you might jot down to look at later, says that God will accomplish all that he has purposed. When we think about God's will, that's part of what the scriptures say. Sometimes theologians call this the secret will of God. Not secret in the sense of we're not supposed to trust it, but secret in the sense of we can't predict exactly what will happen in accordance with God's will with 100% certainty. But that doesn't mean it's not already laid out. It means we just don't happen to have the ability to see the future. Are you with me? So a couple of things the Bible tells us for sure that will take place is that God promises the gospel will be proclaimed to the entire world and that some from every people group on the planet will be saved. We know that. It's not up for for grabs. It's not up for debate. God has said that will occur, that his church will spread over the whole world, and then the end will come. But when and who and how, we don't know those things. But those are all part of the secret will of God. So that's part of God's will. Part of what God means when he says, my will will be accomplished. God's will of decree is to be a tremendous source of peace and confidence for us as Christians. If you're here today and you believe in Christ, you've given yourself to him, he has given himself to you, then you ought to be one of the most peaceful, calm, stable people on the planet. Because in the end, you trust that God has a sovereign good will. And that will is trustworthy because God is trustworthy. And so while you don't know the future... You know the God of the future, and so there's confidence in him. So that's part of what Kevin's getting at in that definition when he talks about God's will. There's another way, though, that the Bible talks about God's will. It talks about God's will of desire, and this is probably the most infrequent thing that I personally hear people talk about when they talk about God's will. Here's what that means. God's will of desire is what he's commanded us to do. So there is a will that God has that isn't what God says, this is exactly what's going to take place. But rather it's God telling his people, here's the way in which you are to live. It's his commands is another way of saying that. So a few examples. 1 John 2 says, whoever does the will of God has eternal life. That was a book we've covered as a church family. Uh, John 7 says that people who obey the Father's will are the ones whose life has been given to God and who will be in heaven. Not because that obedience makes you saved, but because a Christian progressively can't help but obey God. That's the path that we're on. Hebrews 13 says that God will equip us for everything good so that we can do His will, so that we can obey Him. 1 Thessalonians 4 says that God's will is our sanctification. And in particular, it says that God's will is that we not be foolish and fool around sexually, but that we honor him with our body. None of these passages are talking about what God has announced is going to happen. They're all talking about what God directs us, what his will is for our lives. You still with me? All right. All of this we're laying foundation. Whenever I talk with people who are struggling to know the will of God... This is never what they're talking about. And I honestly don't think that's too strong a way to say that. When I sit with a brother or sister who's saying, I, I want to live in the will of God, I want to do what God wills, what he wants, always the context of that conversation is I have a decision to make and I want to make a decision that honors God, that leads me into the life of blessing. But friends, some of you labor days and weeks over a decision and you don't ever consider what God's already told you to do. If we line up the number of times the Bible tells us to seek the will of God for some secret thing in the future versus here's my will, live in accordance with it, the stacks would be massively different. And so just chew on that We'll come back with it. We'll come back to it a little later. But if we'd spend less time begging God to tell us what to do about a particular thing and more time faithfully living in what he's already commanded, then those decision moments in life would be far more simple because we'd be more attuned to listening to God every day. Therefore, it wouldn't feel as massive and strange and abstract when we have a decision to make, because we'd be bathed in the Bible all the time. And God's will wouldn't feel so foreign. It would be the normal course of everyday life. That's where I find De Young's definition so helpful, especially that first half. Live for God, obey the scriptures, think of others before yourselves, be holy, love Jesus. That's the will of God for your life. And it's the will of God for everyone's life. So, will of decree and will of desire. Let me show you how those work together in one scripture. It'll be on the screens. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Meaning, those parts of God's will that God says, this is going to happen. Trust me, I'm in charge. We just don't know exactly what those things are. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all through the words of this law. There's both of those together. The secret will of God, what God has willed will happen, and the scriptural commandments that God's given us, the will of God. But neither one of those things get at what we typically think of when we think of, I want to know God's will, Right? Usually when we say that, we're talking about, should I say yes to this date? Should I purchase this house? Do I buy this car? Do I get this major? Do I leave this spouse? Do I retire at this date? Do I take this job? Do I move to this new city? Those are the things we typically think of as being in the realm of seeking God's will. And when we come to those things, the Bible says almost nothing. Isn't that strange? A few of you are squirming in your seats. When we have a decision to make, we're not typically asking, God, what's your secret will? Or God, what's your revealed will? But we're asking for something different. And that's what de Young calls God's will of direction. So let me go back to the questions I asked at the beginning of this sermon. What should I do with an aging parent I can no longer realistically care for? Are you going to find a specific answer to that question in the scriptures? No. Is that because God doesn't care? No. Some of you are from cultures, your culture of origin, Is a culture in which parents already live with adult children. The answer to that question in that kind of culture is likely going to be different than it is in a traditional American culture, right? Does that mean one culture is better than the other? Not necessarily. The Bible gives us principles that can apply to any culture. That would be an example. So, another question we said Should I marry him? Does God want me to buy that house? Should I take that job? Which college should I choose? None of those things are things that the Bible will give you a direct, specific answer to. But if God's sovereign and he's in control and he rules the universe, then all of those things would come under God's decrees. In other words, they would come under the sovereign will of God for each of our lives. But that's where things get tricky. God's will of desire doesn't directly answer those questions. Nowhere does the Bible tell me, actually, to sit around and wait for God to reveal his plans to me ahead of time so I don't mess up my life. It doesn't tell me to do that. And yet, that's the most common way people talk about seeking God's will. So let me put that a different way. Knowing the Bible really well won't tell you It didn't tell me if Jill was the one I'm supposed to marry. Didn't tell me that. It doesn't tell me if I should have come to church on Mill. It didn't tell me if I should have kids or how many kids I ought to have. Why? Because in the will of God... I'm supposed to trust God's in charge. And what happens in my life happens for my good. And the commandments of God are so many and so big, I can give my life in Christ devoted to them. If I do those two things, then I can trust that God will be directing life. That's what DeYoung is getting at in his definition. Here's another definition, or another way of thinking through this. Conventional understanding of God's will defines it as a specific pathway we should follow into the future. God knows what this pathway is and he's laid it out for us to follow. Our responsibility is to discover this pathway. And this is that will of direction. Does God have that? Does God reveal it? That's what he's talking about. God's plan for our lives. We must discover... Which of the many pathways we could follow is the one we should follow, the one God has planned for us. If and when we make the right choice, we receive his favor, fulfilling our divine destiny and succeeding in life. If we choose rightly, we will experience his blessing and achieve success and happiness. If we choose wrongly, we may lose our way, miss God's will for our lives, and remain lost forever in an incomprehensible maze." That is what we most often think when we think about seeking God's will. Is it not? Am I saying something that's not true? No, you're uncomfortable because that is the way we often think of it. But friends, that's not how the Bible tells us to seek God's will. It's simply not in there. That's not a weight he has placed on us. That's not a pressure you are supposed to bear. You're free from the burden of trying to swindle from God something he hasn't promised to give. I'm not saying that God doesn't have an individual plan for your life, he does. What I am saying is that you're not obligated to know his secret plan. And he's not obligated to tell you that his point of emphasis in our lives individually and our life collectively is different. It's much more full. He wants every moment of every day, not those three, four, five moments in life when you make a big decision. He wants to rule and reign every moment of every day. His job is to rule, and our job is to trust him, following what he said in his word. And then as we delight ourselves in God, it will be natural to make decisions in everyday life. So let's go back to the definition the young wrote with this in mind, and then we're going to get to Proverbs. Live for God, obey the scriptures, think of others before yourself, be holy, love Jesus. That is a way of summarizing the Bible's directives on a Christian's life. And if you do that, then as you do these things, do whatever else you want, with whomever you like, wherever you like, and you'll be walking in the will of God. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. If we could summarize it in a few words. Seek King Jesus and trust him to rightly manage your life. That is what we need as a foundation to understand Proverbs. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The emphasis in the book of Proverbs is that we ought to be people who aren't just bumping through life, taking whatever happens to come, but that we be people who are planning and thoughtful about how we live. And so this morning, if we could organize what Proverbs says, we could collect it into five principles for planning. And think of all of these principles as built upon the foundation that we've already laid. So when you think about daily life, the decisions you have to make, both the big ones and the things that seem little, the book of Proverbs would give you some very helpful um, steps through which you can make the plans that are needed to live an orderly, productive, abundant life. Let me try to collect them in that way. And think of these in particular about the decisions that need to be made, whether they're big things or little things. How do you go about making decisions in a way that honors God? Number one, start by declaring that God is worthy of trust and commit yourself to loving him supremely. What would happen if the first thought of the day when you wake up is not smacking the alarm and hoping that you get another hour of sleep. But opening your eyes and saying to yourself, or even out loud, God, I trust you today. That's the first thing that comes into mind. God, I trust you today. I don't know what the day would hold, but God, you do. And so I turn my thoughts first to you, and I trust you. And I commit to loving you supremely. Maybe you have Proverbs 3 still open. Look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Friends, the God of the Bible is a trustworthy God. He's a trustworthy God. Sometimes people get nervous when we talk about God's will, and that God is sovereign, and that the number of your days have already been planned. We want to retain a sense of control, but the fact is, very, very few things are actually in our control. God is in control. That's good news. So make plans every day. Make plans to love God and love people. Make plans to do good. Make plans to intentionally express trust in God. Make plans to go about the work that God has set before you. But do all of those trusting that whatever comes, God will use. God will use for good. Let's bring up old Trimper. We keep talking about Trimper. Trimper said a few weeks ago a number of things here. He's going to say this to us today. Our plans are ultimately at the service of God's superseding purpose. That is the great confidence that we have. That there's a God who is in charge, and he's powerful and he's good, right? You're getting quieter and quieter. What's the deal? All right, number two. When you've got a decision to make, whether it's big or small, weigh the options, make a gospel-minded initial conclusion, and then if it's a major issue, seek input from other people. Ask God for guidance. Filter what you think, sense, hear, believe through the Bible. Listen to godly counsel. Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. I wonder if you'd read that with me. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. If there's perhaps one or two practical things I hope you walk away from this message with, this would be one of them. God's will is that as believers live in community together, that our lives would be open to each other. And that in particular, when we have decisions we need to make, that we would be bringing those to our brothers and sisters so that they could help us make wise decisions now practically speaking let's think out loud together for a moment why might that be true right if proverbs is holding out to us wisdom basic skills for everyday life why might that be true what do you think not rhetorical We we don't know it all what do you mean Okay, so Pat said there's another person might have insight, experience, knowledge that we don't have that could help shed light on the situation. Absolutely. Can you think of any other reasons? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so God's normal means of revealing himself isn't poof. Here he is. You can see him, touch him, see his face, hear audibly his voice. That God's normal means of directing us, helping us make good decisions, is the community of faith. Right? Good. Other thoughts? (laughs) Pam said, You all have blind spots. (laughs) <laughs> Pam said we have blind spots. Um, uh, some of you particularly who are here as, as uh, visiting scholars, that might be a term that isn't familiar to your culture. Uh, here we talk about blind spots meaning there are areas of our lives that we can't see. There are aspects, particularly weaknesses, that we don't notice about ourselves. And guess what? They are often readily Observable to everyone else. And so they can help us see, you may be in a rut here making another decision to do something that isn't going to be profitable for you. Yeah, maybe one more. Another thought? Dre. I think it could help us. Okay. So it could help us um, sometimes. Our decision-making is driven by things that are not particularly godly. And sometimes, other people can help us assess our motivations better than we can ourselves. I think all of those are great concepts about why this might be true. Get counsel. Now, is all counsel equal? No. How do you decide who to listen to? Well, friends, that's a great question. Ultimately, we want to listen to people who are people that love God, who have been saved by God, because they have the same basic orientation towards life, and that is, I'm not God, God's God. And the scriptures, while they don't direct us to specific questions like, do I go to U of A or ASU? Although that question should be not even ever asked. (laughs) But they won't answer that question, but they'll give us all kinds of truths through which we can try to make that decision. And godly people are people whose filter for life, is the scriptures. And so the people we want to listen to are people whose lives are not perfect, but they're honest, they're humble, they're transparent, they're not living from a a viewpoint that we can do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it with absolutely no consequences whatsoever. But God's God, we're not. And they're seeking to live out the priorities of the kingdom. Love God, love people. Everything else comes after that. Everything else fits within that. Those are the folks we listen to. Those are the counsels that we ought to seek. All right, number three. Run the decision through a series of questions. When I have a decision to make, whether it's a, uh, often we'll do this with more significant kinds of decisions, not as often with small things, but it may be a good habit to develop either way. Here's some ideas. Does this seem to maximize opportunities for disciple-making? So if I have an opportunity set before me and I've got to decide, do I take this or not? Do I say yes or no? A good question to ask is, will this help me love other people more? Will saying yes to this give me opportunity to talk about God and the things of God and be around people? If so, it might be a good thing to do. Another question, is this a wise thing to do? That's a far better question than simply, is this sinful because it pulls us into a different realm of thinking. Another good question to ask, what are my motives in this decision? Or am I seeking something in this that can only come from God? Or does this seem to help me obey God's revealed will? Develop some list of questions that help you process a decision and think through it carefully. Number four, as you give yourself to the pattern of Romans 12, make a decision and humbly go for it. Romans 12 is a wonderful passage. It's one that really ought to be memorized by every Christian. It's one that literally you could think about going throughout your day as applicable to each and every moment. Romans 12, 1 and 2 It's a really great passage. As you present your body to God, and as you tell the Lord you don't want to be conformed to the world, but be transformed through the renewal of your mind, somebody who knows it, what does it say then? Yeah. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewal of your mind, that's the scriptures coming in, then you will know what the will of God is. It doesn't say, actually, go look at the clouds for a special message from heaven. It doesn't say, pray about that issue until you hear God speak. It doesn't say, wait for a special word from God. It doesn't say God promises to tell you unequivocally what you ought to do when you have a decision to make. We need to pull God's will out of the goofiness into the Scriptures and trust that the major things life is about. God has made plain. And that at the end of the day, it may not matter all that much whether you're working as a nurse or an engineer. That may not be the most important thing about you. Number five, reject worry about the future for the God of the future will use all things for good. We are a people bent up with anxiety, fear and worry. And we are increasingly becoming more that. If you want an example of it, look at the current presidential race. It is driven completely by fear, worry, and anxiety. Our individual stress is easily visible if you turn on the news because it's seen in a whole country. God is not a God of fear. God's will for your life is not something to feel anxious over. It's something to give confidence and peace and joy in. Proverbs 16 is helpful. It says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, But the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The heart of the man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who pursues his lips brings evil to pass. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. What would happen to your level of anxiety, worry, and fear if you believed those verses? Instead of worrying about the future, Christian, trust the God of the future because he's got it under control. And whatever happens to come into life is tailored, designed by God to make you more like Christ. Everything. Good, quote, bad. Easy, quote, hard. Joyful, difficult. God is a trustworthy God. So invest your energies into knowing Him more instead of stewing over everything and simply trust Him. Now let's go back to that quote. Abiel, could you throw that Kevin DeYoung quote back up on the screens for us that we talked about at the beginning? And we'll be done here in just a moment. But let's look at that quote together again. Live for God. Obey the Scriptures. Think of others before yourself. Be holy. Love Jesus. That's God's will. And as you do these things, do whatever else you like, with whomever you like, wherever you like, and you'll be walking in the will of God. The way he says that kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, all three of them. But I think he's exactly right. I think the point of emphasis in the scriptures is God is sovereign, he's in charge, trust him. Here's the plans of God, the will of God, the commands of God. Focus life there. And as you seek him first and his kingdom, he will provide everything you need for life and godliness. Now, how do you today think about the future? And why should you have confidence that anything I've said today is true? You smell that? (laughs) Maybe it's blowing on me and it's not, you don't smell it really. But it's fishy. Why, let me say it a different way. Why should you get up tomorrow and make a plan for Monday and seek to live it out? Why should you go to school and study and work hard? Why get out of bed tomorrow? How do we know that God's in charge? How do we know that He's trustworthy? It certainly shouldn't be because I've said it, but why? Why do we have that orientation towards life? Maybe there's some here today who don't. Why does it make any sense at all for you to consider staking your entire future on a God that's invisible? Why? Let me read a passage to you. This will not be on the screens. If it would help you to focus, I wonder if you'd even just close your eyes. And I'll end with this. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter and like a sheep that's before its shearers is silent. So he, Jesus, opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief. When his soul made an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Father, ultimately, we trust your will because you willed the death and resurrection of Jesus so important to you God was it that we be in your will you gave yourself up for a torturous sacrificial death in Jesus Christ because all of us had turned away from your will we had neglected to do the things that you had commanded to do and as such we had fallen out of your will. I pray today for, first of all, people in the room who have not given their lives to Christ. I pray that they could know today, supernaturally, that it was God's will to send Jesus to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to rise again in victory. And that Jesus is alive and well today. And that this group of people who trust and believe in you is an evidence of that fact. And that they would turn to you, give themselves to you, be saved. And that if they still have questions about that, that God, they would ask someone sitting around them or come to me or one of the other leaders before they leave this room and say, I want to know more about Jesus. And then, Father, for those in the room who are already Christians, that, God, you would place upon us the joy of knowing the most important things in life you have revealed. Therefore, we can be a people of peace and joy and a lack of worry. And we don't have to fret over the decisions in life. We can trust the God of the future. Thank you for your revealed will, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.